Good morning. I'm Ke- good morning. I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. Uh, good morning, everybody. We're so excited to be here. We have some really important stuff to talk to you about this morning. So thanks for tuning in to Everything is Interesting. On today's episode, we're going to be exploring one of the most important freshwater ecosystems and something pretty familiar to us all out here in the Pacific Northwest. Today, we'll be talking about streams. Streams are such an integral part of the landscape here in the lush green Pacific Northwest. I mean, I love streams. Yeah, my favorite part about streams is that there's a whole world inside each one. Like one stream and the forest it runs through can be the home of countless species of like fish. And plants. Oh, and bugs. Trees. Birds. And beavers. And newts. And to learn more about these aquatic ecosystems, we spoke with a couple of scientists working to protect the streams right here in our own backyard, Jack Williams and Matt Sloat. They both have their PhDs in fishery science and both know a whole lot about streams. And today, we decided to try something a little different with our show. So we invited Jack and Matt on air to help us talk about our streams and why they matter and what's threatening them. So, hi, Jack. Yep. uh, Good morning. It's great to be here. Good morning. And hello, Matt. Are you there? I am. Good morning. Good Good to be with you. Thank you so much for being here with us today, guys. So both Matt and Jack have been working on preserving Oregon streams and their inhabitants for many years. Uh, Jack, could you give us a brief overview of what you do? Um, Sure. I'm the uh, senior scientist for Trout Unlimited. And Trout Unlimited is a a nonprofit group with about uh, 160,000 members across the country. And uh, we work to um, uh, protect uh, cold water fish like uh, trout and salmon and their habitats. Matt, how about you? Yeah, I'm the director of science for the Wild Salmon Center. We're a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon, and our group is dedicated to the conservation and sustainable use of salmon all around the Pacific Rim. That's great. So when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you're currently feeling a sense of urgency concerning stream health and the local efforts to preserve it. So Matt, can you share with us what's going on? Sure. There's a bill currently in front of the Oregon legislators that stands to affect the health of Oregon's rivers and fish, and it's called Senate Bill 3. And if it's passed, it would put limits on a uh, pretty destructive hobby known as suction dredge gold mining. Hmm. Jack, do you have anything to say on this? Um, Sure. Yeah, suction dredge gold mining is something I'm uh, passionate uh, about and interested in as well. Uh, when I worked uh, with the U.S. Forest Service in the uh, Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest, I saw the uh, the effects of uh, this kind of mining activity on our stream ecosystems, and, um, well, it's it's not pretty. Yeah, you know, Kira and I have actually been following this bill as well. It's important to us, too. Um, but before we really get into the nitty-gritty of suction dredge mining, let's talk a little bit more about the streams that this bill is seeking to protect. So... A healthy stream ecosystem provides many essential services for the environment in which it runs and for the creatures, like us, who live in in and around it. Right. Streams sort of shape the landscape and they provide drinking water. They also help regulate climate and they house plant life that serves as the base of the food chain. Uh, They supply water for both forested and agricultural land. They replenish the ground with nutrients and they act as both a sink for carbon dioxide and an emitter of oxygen. Sweet. They also prevent floods that wash away nutrient-dense topsoil and they are home to countless aquatic species. But it's hard to tell if a stream ecosystem is healthy or not just by looking at it. So how do we know? Right. A stream is dynamic and it changes throughout the entire year. So each season sort of tells its own story about the stream. So Jack, can we talk a little bit about the seasons of a stream? And can we start right here in the spring? 
Um, sure, and as you've mentioned, streams are uh, dynamic uh, ecosystems for sure. And uh, spring is, uh, is, is certainly that way. Spring is the runoff season, so uh, snow is melting and streams are running high. And a uh, healthy stream should have abundant uh, riparian vegetation that slows runoff and helps hold stream backs stream banks in place to minimize erosion. Mm-hmm. The riparian vegetation are the plants like well, things like willows and cottonwoods and rushes and sedges that, that grow right along the stream side. Oh, I love the stream side. It's riparian. also a great place to search for clustered roses to make rose hip jam. Ooh. Yeah. And what about summer? Okay, well summer, of course, that's uh, the season of uh, hot temperatures. So um, shade uh, from trees and other riparian plants are important to the survival of many cold water fish like trout and salmon. I love shade. And <laughs> and also, um, uh, healthy streams have a mix of habitat types. So mm-hmm. things like uh, riffles and pools and runs that provide diversity to streams. And another sign of uh, healthy streams is the presence of uh, structure like boulders and logs, which uh, also help uh, create pools and provide shade. More shade, yes. I Also, boulders and logs are the best for clamoring. I don't know <laughs> if you clamor when you hike, but that's like my favorite I just thing. live under boulders and yeah. logs. <laughs> So, okay, what about as the weather gets colder and we get closer to the fall? Well, um, of course, fall's uh, a time where we have uh, lots of uh, dead leaves falling into our streams. So uh, we need a diverse uh, community of aquatic insects to uh, process all that organic matter and help recycle the nutrients. Right, because they eat it up. And me when I live under rocks. (laughs) You're a detrimore. (laughs) Also in the fall, the the health of the streams, the watershed is really important. So if a watershed is in good condition, the snow melt and the rainfall um, that we received earlier in the year will have sort of percolated down into the groundwater and then slowly released into the streams uh, during the fall. So that helps keep the stream flows up and keeps, uh, helps keep the water from basically getting too too low and too warm. And the watershed refers to like the entirety of the water system, right? The, the, from the rain, like the whole area where the rain falls and the water... Yeah, it dumps into the river, right? And then, wait, hold on. Do you say the groundwater feeds the stream? That's right. So the um, the, the the watershed, so the uh, uh, snow that that falls during the winter and and early spring, yeah, as it melts, it slowly kind of if if the watershed is healthy, instead of just running off really rapidly, it'll slowly some of that water will slowly percolate down into shallow groundwater areas where then it's released over time. So it's about keeping the water in the area for a longer period of time. That's right. Yeah, healthy watersheds keep that that moisture up in the headwaters longer. All right. So let's wrap it up with what happens in the winter. Well, the winter, um, so, um, um, of course, uh, throughout the year, stream beds are receiving some fine sediment through runoff and erosion. But if the streams and riparian areas are healthy, the fine sediments like, and we're talking about things like uh, silt and clay, so the deposit of those fine sediments is minimal, and the stream gravels will be mostly clean and then ready for fish spawning in the spring. Nice. And Matt, can you, oh, that was Jack, by the way. Thank you, Jack. Matt, can you explain this in a little more detail for those of us who are not fish experts? So I know many freshwater fish in the Pacific Northwest spawn on river bottoms, but why is silty sediment a negative thing? Like, are the fish really that picky? Yeah, well, mo- uh, most of our freshwater fish in the Northwest do best in streams with clean gravels, and that's because clean gravel has spaces between the rocks uh, where insects can live, and the insects are the main food for fish. But also, as you mentioned, um, many of our fish species use those gravels to reproduce and spawn. And basically what happens during spawning is the eggs 
filtered down uh, in between the gravels where they're protected uh, from predators and from being washed away. And if gravels are clogged by silt and sediment, there's no spaces for uh, either the insects to grow or the eggs to, to get down and, and incubate. Fish like salmon, right? Yeah, like salmon. Big deal. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? Is fish like salmon? I mean, they're one of the fish. I mean, besides being a source of food, these fish have been a cultural and spiritual center for the Northwest Native American tribes for thousands of years. And if you're not intrinsically inclined to care about the survival of the salmonoid species, consider that salmon fishing is a $3 billion a year industry that provides tens of thousands of jobs in the U.S. alone. And chances are, you're probably at least impressed with the great salmon runs that happen every autumn. How could you Thousands of fish return from their life at sea to the stream beds where they were born in order to mate, and as Matt just explained, lay their eggs and die. And the streams are a quintessential part of a salmon's life cycle. So, Matt, you're the director of science for the Wild Salmon Center in Corvallis. Can you briefly help us understand what a salmon goes through from egg to breeding adult over the course of a year? Yeah, sure. So let's start in the fall uh, when, as you mentioned, most salmon are spawning in Oregon mm-hmm. rivers. Um, they're return to fresh water after spending uh, several years in the ocean. They're quite large, as most people know when and they delicious. see them. Um, in the fall is when salmon dig nests in clean gravels and rivers and streams and deposit their eggs. And after spawning, they guard their nests as long as they can before eventually they die. It's a natural part of their life cycle. Mm-hmm. Their bodies then decompose in rivers, and, and that brings nutrients back from the ocean to the rivers and feeds the insects uh, that their offspring then will so their oh. death actually plays a part yeah, in the, the cir- entire ecosystem. circle of life, I think you're talking about. Circle of life. Yeah, exactly. And through the winter, salmon eggs, um, you know, they incubate in the gravels, and fish that were actually hatched the previous year spend their time avoiding being washed away during winter floods. And then in springtime, um, the eggs that have been incubating in the gravel hatch, and the young salmon emerge and begin their lives in rivers and streams. And the timing is really good because spring is when, you know, streams are coming back to life after a pretty quiet period during the winter. Uh, riparian vegetation is beginning to uh, reemerge and leaf out. And many of the uh, terrestrial and the aquatic insects that have been dormant over the winter become more active and provide food for the young fish. So fish that are beginning to hatch are basically emerging into a, uh, a new awakening ecosystem that can feed them. Right. That spring is the same as so the inspiring. Is us, right? <laughs> Man, I really, I love the salmon. I love eating it. I love fishing for it. And I love thinking about its life cycle. Nerd alert! <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. So also important is the fact that salmon are what we call an indicator species. So a healthy salmon population is dependent on a healthy stream. So observing salmon directly tells us about the health of their home. A decline in the health or size of a salmon population can prompt us to investigate the impacts human activity like suction dredge mining is having on our streams right here in Oregon. Suction dredge mining is, you know, that focal point of the piece of legislation, Senate Bill 3, that Jack and Matt had brought up earlier. So, um, Jack, you used to work to, <coughs> excuse me, you used to work for the Forest Service in the Siskiyou Forest where you saw the impacts of suction dredge mining firsthand. Um, can you give us a brief overview of how suction dredge mining works? Um, sure. Uh, essentially, uh, suction, suction dredge mining uses a gasoline-powered engine, usually and we're talking about something about the size of a lawnmower engine, uh, to vacuum up stream sediments uh, through a hose and then uh, deposit them onto a sluice box. 
usually all this is mounted in a small sort of pontoon raft Ooh, that's uh, floated in the stream. And the sluice box uh, captures any gold and then sends the gravels and sediments uh, downstream of the raft in sort of a plume. So it's kind of like a giant vacuum cleaner. They use about a, a four to six inch diameter nozzle. God, but you're sucking suck up, up the stream. The gravels, silt and sand. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, some folks will, some miners will uh, move some of the larger rocks, woody materials, and boulders out of the stream so that uh, the dredge can get a good run through a pool. And, of course, that uh, degrades stream habitats. Yeah, so they're really and just cleaning out the entire bottom of the stream, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Wow. That's, uh, that's exactly right. And then, of course, sometimes we have uh, issues like, um, you know, spilled gasoline or, or people cutting down riparian plants so the dredge can access the stream. Oh, wow. So this is a and multifaceted problem. It, it is. It's a multifaceted problem. And um, while a single uh, dredge operation uh, can be, you know, relatively minor in terms of disturbance, uh, when you get several going on a stream at one time, kind of up and down the stream, then that cumulative, that sort of combined impact can be pretty major. Right, right. And suction dredge mining has been going on, I believe, since the 1800s. So we can actually see the changes to the streams from where it's been done in the past and get kind of a clear warning of what might happen if we were to continue this destructive hobby. Right. And so can we take a look at the effects of suction dredge mining on a stream over the course of a year and how that impacts the salmon? Um, Matt, can you start us off in the spring? Sure. Yeah, as Jack mentioned, uh, in the spring when a lot of the riparian vegetation would be um, re-emerging, uh, where dredging has occurred, oftentimes that um, vegetation has been disturbed, and so it's not filtering off uh, silt and sediment uh, as it should. And this is tough for the juvenile salmon, I assume, the ones that have That's just... That's correct. Yeah. Um, and as we get into the summer, the weather, it gets nicer. And this is kind of really the season when more and more people start using suction dredges to mine for gold, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's correct. When, um, when it's warm and during low water conditions is when we see most of the suction dredge operations. And, of course, the immediate effect, sort of the, the churning up of sediment, not only means creating a much more turbid, that is kind of a cloudy uh, stream system for the fish, uh, but it also means that uh, we sometimes are turning up mercury, oh. uh, which is uh, not so good. No, yeah, yeah. that sounds very bad. Why is mercury in the soil in the first place? Well, um, uh, mercury is a naturally occurring element, but it was also used in historical uh, gold mining operations. So we're talking about even, you know, back in the 1800s. Right. And mercury was added to um, uh, the gold mining process. They would The mercury would bind with gold when the gravels and the sand ran through the sluice box. Ooh, cool That's, science, bad environmental process. Continue. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, uh, about a third of the mercury was kind of lost to the stream system during this process, and, and uh, historically, that, that mercury being very heavy, it sort of settled in the d- deeper pool sediments, but the suction dredge mining actually digs that deep sediment back up and sort of resuspends it in the water column, and that's where we get into problems. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so I think most people have a negative gut reaction to the idea of mercury in the water. I mean, I know I do. And we see we all understand on some level that mercury can cause serious health problems. But how much mercury is suction dredge mining really adding back into our waterways? Um, Matt, is this something we should be concerned about? Yeah, potentially. I mean, mercury is a neurotoxin, and uh, we don't have good estimates of just how much mercury is remobilized, but we know that suction dredge mining, uh, especially in uh, rivers that have a legacy of uh, previous mining activity, is um, churning up that mercury and making it available 
in the water. And that uh, can bioaccumulate within the fish themselves. Sure. So it's in the fish that we may want to eat. Mm-hmm. So the, and it's those, also affecting the water quality. Those streams where gold has been found, I mean, it's exciting. Because it means pe- more people are going to go mine and, you know, look for the same deposits of gold. But that means more mercury and more mercury churned up and more mercury deposited. And possibly in the fish that we're going to eat. So this also can't be a good setup for the salmon that come to spawn in the fall and then incubate their eggs in the winter, can it? That's that's right. Um, so as as Matt mentioned earlier, many of our salmon are spawning during the fall, and the spawning fish search for gravels of certain sizes to create what we call reds, where the females are going to lay their eggs. And one of the problems associated with suction dredge operations is that the, the dredges sort of artificially sort the different gravels by by size as they sort of fall out in the water column behind the dredge. And uh, while good spawning gravels should be clean and have only small amounts of fine sediment to help kind of hold the reds together, the gravels deposited behind this, the dredging operations actually have so little fine material that the reds are readily washed away. So when the, when the fish are laying their eggs uh, in the reds, kind of building those nests, uh, then we get some high winter flows, and those reds are kind of destroyed, and those, those gravels are, are sent uh, and eggs are sent downstream. So... So we lose them. Um, we lose production that way. Yeah. Wow. That sounds serious. Um, and then those eggs that do make it, they face another challenge, right? They need a safe place to incubate until the spring. So, Matt, what's happening over the winter to the habitat that's been dredged? Well, like Jack mentioned, um, a lot of the eggs uh, can get washed away because the dredge mining destabilizes the, the stream bed. But for uh, juvenile fish that had hatched the previous year, this can also be a problem because those fish are seeking shelter from winter floods in the substrate themselves, so under cobble and boulders, and those uh, cobbles and boulders are often displaced during the dredging as well. So you're removing cover that would shelter fish from winter floods. Wow. So a year in the life of a stream where suction dredge mining has occurred can possibly be very different from a year in the life of a healthy stream, especially for those creatures like the salmon that are living in it. Right. It sounds like suction dredge mining, it sort of straight up messes with our streams and with all the creatures that are living in them. And frankly, all those ecosystem services we mentioned that the stream and those creatures provide then to us humans. But the good news is that we have an opportunity to halt the destruction of our streams. And even with all that's already been done, it's still possible to rehabilitate affected areas and protect the habitats yet undamaged. So even if we or you aren't out there in the field like Matt Sloat and Jack Williams are fighting for the streams and, you know, for science, what can we do? Well, there's some very concrete steps we can take to protect the places we love. So Senate Bill 3, which would expand the area where section dredge mining is banned, is due to be voted on in the current Oregon congressional session. And your state representatives will be the ones to make or break this vital piece of legislation protecting the health of stream ecosystems across the state. Part of why we wanted to cover this topic is because we know that democracy works best when everyone is involved. Your voices matter to your congresspeople. So if you have an opinion about suction dredge mining, let them know. Call your local representative and follow it up with an email that includes this episode of Everything is Interesting. A recording of today's episode will be posted on our website, everythingisinteresting.org, along with the phone numbers and the email addresses for all the Oregon legislators that will be voting on the suction dredge mining bill, Senate Bill 3, in the upcoming weeks. We did it all for you. So get out there, you know, share some science with your elected officials. It never hurts to give your legislatures more resources to help them better understand the environmental issues they will be casting their vote on. 
So, and if you want more information about suction dredge mining or about healthy stream ecosystems, you can check out some information from the Oregon League of Conservation Voters. Just go to forahealthyoregon.org and click on the link titled, Learn More About Our 2017 Legislative Priorities. And uh, Matt, where can our listeners find out more science about salmon conservation? Visit our website, uh, wildsalmoncenter.org. And Jack, where can we learn about your conservation efforts? So our uh, Trout Unlimited website is simply tu.org. That's T and U, right? The letters? That's right. Troutunlimited.org. Very succinct. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show with us today. And, you know, keep up the good work out there protecting our streams. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Nice to be be with you. Loved having you on, guys. Um, So hopefully after today, you, our listeners, feel like you have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the intricacy of our streams, the fragility of these beautiful ecosystems, and the part you play in protecting them. Hmm. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira. Thanks for listening. And thank you so very much to Matt Sloat and Jack Williams for joining us today. We'll see you next time on Everything is Interesting. Bye, guys.